Parents, if you've ever experienced bedtime battles with the kids, I'm going to let you into a little secret. The Koala Moon podcast has revolutionised over 20 million bedtimes, with parents like you calling it life-changing and the perfect nighttime routine. With original kids' bedtime stories and cosy sleep meditations, every episode has been specially designed to make bedtimes a dream. Listen to Koala Moon on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Discover a new educational and interactive podcast, Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids. Our episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We went shape hunting around the block, and we found spheres and cubes on the street. That was great fun. Join Stories for Kids, the Lingo Kids podcast, inspiring you to learn while having fun. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. I won't let my body outweigh. Outweigh everything that I'm made of. Won't spend my life trying to change. I'm learning to love who I am. I am strong. I feel free. I know every part of me is beautiful. And I will always outweigh. If you feel it, put your hands in the air. Show some love to the new while you're there. Let's take it one day at a time. Cause you and I outweigh. Welcome back to Outweigh. Today it's Lisa, Amy, and we're joined by our amazing guest, Ali Bonner, who is an influencer, a food blogger turned food manufacturer. She's got her own brand of Queen & Co. granola butter. And she also hosts a podcast that you'll want to check out called The Alley Cast, where she talks all about the stuff we talk about here. So body image, food, relationships, and even a bit of entrepreneurship stuff, which I, I really love your podcast. So everyone I know here will love it too. Thanks for being here. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. And I mean, as you know, I'm a total open book. So happy to chat entrepreneur side, body image stuff. And you've just been such an inspiration for me too on all things body image, because as you know, it's just such a journey. So excited to dive right in. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a journey. And you've been very forthcoming with your Instagram account to really share the struggle as you went through it and as you make your way through it. I feel like the thickness of it, you're kind of past. But what inspired you to start sharing on Instagram? 
I think similar to probably when you started too, you know, I didn't even know that, you know, being an influencer was really a thing to be honest. When I started, I really use Instagram as, you know, sort of a healing modality and a healing platform for me that I didn't really expect that to happen. So when I started posting, I really was in the depths of my orthorexia. So was really obsessed with, you know, eating perfectly clean all the time. Um, I had just graduated my undergrad. I was a nutrition student. So, you know, I really was in this dark place with food and my body and, you know, really started posting on Instagram because I was using it as a way to hold me accountable for, you know, what I was eating. So it started from a really negative sort of fear-based place. And then as it progressed and as my you know relationship with food sort of evolved, I started to use it more and more in tandem with, you know, working with my nutritional therapist as a way to play with my food again. So I, you know, for so long was so terrified of food and rigid around it. And so I really used it as, you know, sort of an art form in a way I was doing these like crazy over the top, you know, drippy smoothies, which are just completely unrealistic in hindsight and, you know, took hours in the kitchen, but it really was a great starting point for me me to, you know, bring a little fun, bring a little play back into what I was eating and just kind of loosen up and not be so rigid around it. It sounds to me like uh, it's therapeutic for you. Yeah, it totally was. And I just actually talked about this on my page yesterday, but I was restricting myself, you know, in all of the ways, emotionally, physically, mentally. And so I remember being, you know, in high school and I was just scrolling food blogs and just looking at these like decadent, you know, dessert recipes because I wouldn't allow myself to consume them. And so I would just for hours late at night, you know, after my parents would go to bed, I would just read food blogs, look at these amazing, you know, mouthwatering pictures. And so at that time, you know, it wasn't healthy for me, but then as I sort of started to heal my relationship with food, you know, it did become sort of therapeutic and yeah, just sort of an outlet. This is so interesting because we know this anecdotally through stories like yours, but also from research, one of the earliest studies on starvation looked at what happens to the mind when people are starving. And it was meant to understand what was going to happen when people returned back from, I think it was World War II. It could have been World War One. Anyway, the research basically found that when the men were, it was a men were the population, but when they were calorically restricted, everything that they talked about and, and could think about was all about food. So they were, they became obsessed with cooking, with talking about recipes, and it basically just took over their life. And so we don't realize when we're restricting how food becomes the fixation from a place of survival. But I think that's something that we hear all the time that you can be thinking about food all the time and that that could be a sign of disordered eating. Absolutely. Yeah. And for me, it was, you know, that's, it's such a great point because I really, you know, growing up, I liked food, you know, but I wasn't someone who was a huge foodie, you know, I was kind of just like eat to live type of thing. And it was like, as soon as I started restricting, I mean, that is when I just, I looked at my friends and I was like, how can you guys not think about food all the time? And that's why I talked about my page too. I'm like, was just in awe of people that, you know, forgot to eat or just, you know, it slipped their mind because it, it really was on my mind 24 seven. Like as I was eating breakfast, I was planning and calculating and, you know, just preparing what I was going to have for lunch, which just is the most exhausting thing ever. And that's part of the reason why I decided to really embark on, you know, healing my relationship with food. Cause I was just so over, you know, thinking about it. 
all the goddamn yeah. time. So, Allie, I actually pulled up this post on your Instagram and I want to read it because I think it's uh, pretty impactful. And if people want to follow you, you're Allie, A-L-I-B-O-N-A-R. So that's where they can uh, find you there. And here's what you put up. And it was a post... Uh, says, what percentage of your day do you spend thinking about food? A few years ago, I would have answered upwards of 95 to 99%. While I was eating breakfast, I was planning lunch. While I was out to dinner, I was calculating how many calories were in my meal instead of who I was with. At night, I would scroll through food, Instagram accounts, and watch Food Network for hours on end. Why? Because I was restricting emotionally, mentally, and physically. And so food occupied my every waking thought. I was in awe of those who, quote, forgot to eat. How could someone go their day without food crossing their mind? Until the other day when I was so engrossed in work that I almost forgot to eat lunch, I realized, holy shit, I'm that person. This isn't to glamorize forgetting to eat, but to highlight that once I stopped restricting and started to heal my relationship with food, it was no longer the main character. I still love food. I look forward to meals and enjoy every goddamn bite, but food is a supporting role in my life rather than the main event. So I just wanted to read through that because I thought it was, it's such a great sentiment to exactly what we experience when we restrict and then end up on a binge or obsess or what we like to talk about on the podcast here is your world ends up so small. Absolutely. Yeah. And the biggest thing too, you know, that I, I really want to make a point to talk about. And I think Lisa, you do a great job of sharing about this is just that, you know, disordered eating is a spectrum. Like I think for so long, I didn't reach out for help because, you know, even though I had these warning signs, these check engine lights, you know, I was, I was thinking about food 24 seven, I really looked, you know, physically the same way that I do today. And so I, I always thought, you know, people who have eating disorders are those who are frail and underweight and sort of that stereotypical, you know, anorexic looking person. And what I read, and I also was like, I'm not throwing up my food, you know, so I'm not bulimic. And so I really didn't feel like I fit into any of these boxes. And so part of it really, you know, what prevented me from getting help was because I didn't feel like I had a problem. And in hindsight, you know, thinking about food 99% of the time is a problem. So yeah. So I just, I wanted to, you know, reiterate that. Cause that's something that again, Lisa, I think you do a great job of talking about is just that, you know, disordered eating is a spectrum, first of all, and also it doesn't have a look or an appearance, you know, any, any body can struggle with those thoughts and that relationship with food. And I love that you made the important nuance to not glamorize forgetting to eat. And it's an important one because I feel like I've said stuff on my Instagram similarly, and some people will call out things like if I said I didn't finish all my food and or um, I forgot to eat something like that. And it's a good distinction to explain that that's a rare occurrence when you heal your relationship to food, but it's so foreign to where you came from, where every waking thought was stolen from your purpose and your passion and given towards food. And so when you're knee deep in a project that you're so passionate about and you forget to eat once in a while, right, you're really highlighting something very different than forgetting to eat. And I think it, it was really um, responsible of you to include that note in your Instagram caption. Yeah, no. And that's huge. I mean, I want to be very crystal clear. Like that was, I never forget to eat. 
to eat. I mean, it was just like you said, it was one of those moments where I was like, I have come so far with my relationship with food that, you know, I'm not anticipating, I'm not counting down the minutes until my next meal. And yeah, you're so right. I mean, I think it's obviously hard to, to nuance that in an Instagram caption, but I think making, making those little points is important because, you know, it's easy to just, you know, subconsciously even glamorize it too when you're kind of recovering. You've done a really good job on your Instagram of highlighting some of the parts of our stories that I think we all have these really shameful moments that I don't think we mean to not talk about. But I think some of my moments, at least, I have subconsciously repressed. And one of them that you talk about that I think really highlights how crazy it can get up in your brain when these things are going on is how you would eat food out of the trash. Mm-hmm. And that's not something sexy to talk about. It's a dark place to go. Why did that happen to you? And what's it like for you to share that? First of all, I mean, it's just wild that I'm at the place now. And again, you know, I don't, I talk about this a lot. Like I don't say this to brag or anything, but just to give people hope because I truly was at the place where I was like, I'm going to struggle with this forever. Like I looked at, you know, people that had normal relationships with food, quote unquote, normal, just, I guess, non-emotional, you know, not thinking about it all the time. And I was just, I didn't feel like I could ever get to a normal place with food and talking about the things that I share today, years ago, I would have been just so shameful, so filled with shame, so filled with guilt and embarrassment and regret. And of course, whenever you share something a little bit vulnerable, you sort of have that, you know, vulnerability hangover for a little bit, but really I've never regretted sharing moments like that because the second that I do, I mean, just the outpouring, not only of just support, but people that have also done that and said, you know, holy shit. Like I thought I was the only person that had done that. And I felt so shameful about it. And just hearing that someone else has done that, it it makes me feel seen and not alone because I think a big issue with, you know, disordered eating is it's such an isolating thing. Like when you're going through it, you're not, you know, running gallivanting throughout the streets, you know, telling people that you're struggling with food, like you really will do everything to try and hide it. So I just wanted to preface it with that. But, you know, the reason I really struggled with it and the reason I decided to share about it was because I thought, you know, it was the most embarrassing and shameful moment of probably my entire life. And so I thought, you know, if I can share this on the internet with complete strangers and, you know, not that I have millions of followers, but the people who follow me, then it was almost sort of like ripping off a bandaid and, you know, what else could I talk about? And what, you know, I almost wanted to create the space for other people to share their vulnerabilities and, you know, their most shameful moments and just normalize it and make it okay. Because, you know, at the end of the day, we're all human and we all go through this stuff. So yeah, I mean, to tell a little backstory about why it happened um, or, you know, one of the moments when it happened. So again, you know, I was restricting not only emotionally, physically, mentally, just every aspect of my relationship with food really. And so, you know, oftentimes I would eat a lot in secret. I think part of it was, you know, I was a people pleaser and I wanted to look a certain way. I wanted to appear like I had my shit together. Again, I was studying nutrition, you know, for my undergrad. So everyone sort of, um, viewed me as just this really healthy, you know, eater. Oh, Ali, she eats salads all the time because she's a nutrition student. So what she does. So when I would eat something, you know, that was quote unquote, un, you know, unhealthy or not clean, you know, in my mind, I always did it in secret. And at the time I was living in a sorority house, you know, in college. So I'm just constantly surrounded by other women, which was 
you know, a recipe for disaster <laughs> probably. And I remember one time, you know, my roommate at the time walked in and I don't know if you remember those quest bars, but like quest bars were something where I felt like it was safe enough, you know, quote unquote safe enough for me to eat, but they sort of tasted a little decadent, which is just so crazy thinking about it now. Cause it's like, I would never go for a quest bar when <laughs> looking for something decadent. And I got a box, like a variety pack of all these different flavors. And, you know, I opened one and I thought, oh, I'll just have one you know, and it tasted so good. So then I had another one and then I had another one and I just was taking bites out of all of these different quest bars. And I thought my roommate was at, you know, her lecture, some class. And she, I guess, got out earlier, got canceled. And she walked in on me in the middle of eating all of these bars and there was wrappers everywhere. And it was, I mean, the most like just embarrassing moment of, you know, to that point of my life, because anyone who's ever binged or, you know, eaten in secret knows that just someone walking in on them is the worst. And of course she's so aloof, you know, she had like a totally easy breezy relationship with food. So she was just like, Oh wow. Like Ali's hungry, you know, because you know, she's having a snack, but I was just so mortified. And I like shoved them all, you know, into the trash can in our little room under the bed, wherever I could. And, you know, when she went to the bathroom and then later, you know, when she went out with friends or went out to dinner, I had all of these different, you know, bars sitting in the trash and I looked at them and, you know, this wasn't like our personal trash can. It was the communal, you know, in the hallway trash can. And I was like, well, it's just kind of like sitting on top, you know, like it's fine. And then the other part of me was like, Allie, oh my God, are you kidding? Like, you're not going to take that out of the trash. Cause there was, you know, I mean, it had been in there for a couple hours and then, you know, it was kind of late. Everyone had kind of gone to bed, maybe like 11 PM. And I was like, screw it, you know? And I grabbed it and I kind of like wiped it off and I started eating it. And the, the feeling of just, you know, so much, so much feeling, right? Like there was this urgency about having to eat it before anyone else caught me. There was this shame of, you know, I can't believe I'm doing this sort of a little endorphin rush of like getting away with something. So it was just a very confusing blend of emotions. And then of course I never told anyone until I started talking about it openly to strangers on the internet, but yeah. I mean, I think I just, you know, for anyone listening who number one has done that, like you're not alone clearly. And also I think, you know, it's a good time for you to just reflect and, you know, realize that something is going on. And I think, you know, had I had the skills and the tools to deal with, you know, my issues with food or just know that, you know, this wasn't a normal occurrence that people, you know, who don't restrict food in other ways, typically eat things out of the trash, then it would have been a good check engine light for me to, you know, reach out to someone, a therapist or a loved one. But at the time I just felt really shameful about it. Okay. Well, in light of you sharing that story, I'll just offer some of our listeners comfort and that I have eaten out of the trash as well. And so I think that that is a common cycle that can happen. But again, yes, it's so isolating and there's so much shame. I would feel my lowest of lows. I had a, a binge and, and purge relationship, like purging with exercise or you know, choosing to throw up. And I felt like these are my lowest of lows, private moments that no one will ever know about because I don't want them to know. I don't want anybody to picture me doing any of these activities, but I appreciate you sharing that story. And, and yeah, I think the reason why we talk and why we share is so that people don't feel alone and so they can know that there is hope because you are offering them that hope by showing them, hey, I'm to the other side. It took a lot of hard work to get where we are. Like if anybody's listening right now and maybe they just had an episode 
this morning or last night and you're kind of just thinking like you're you're lost and you don't know what your, your next move is, I just hope that they feel encouraged that there is hope and that there is another way and you don't have to be obsessed with the food and you don't have to restrict and you don't have to eat out of the trash. There is another way. And that's why Lisa and I started that way. And Lisa's been a huge encouragement to me as well. And so I'm excited to start following you too, Allie, just because I, I, I love everything that you've shared so far. Parents, if you've ever experienced bedtime battles with the kids, I'm going to let you into a little secret. I'm Abby, a mother of two, and I had these battles myself. Endless excuses, delay tactics, and many tears and tantrums, but I've created a solution. The perfect kids podcast that makes bedtime a dream. It's called Koala Moon and it's hosted by me, Abby. With over 300 episodes packed with original stories and sleep meditations, Koala Moon makes bedtimes easy and enjoyable. Episodes start out engaging and really rather magical, but as they progress, they gently slow to a calm and relaxing pace to have your little ones out like a light. Since launching in 2022, Koala Moon has helped with over 20 million nights sleep and received over 6,000 five-star reviews. Win back your evenings. Listen to Koala Moon now on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public, the list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward, don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferreira, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and Challenge All-Star. And speaking of All-Stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. 
old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of challenge champion. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Adding another important perspective as to how powerful that share is, you also help somebody who, like you didn't know, and I didn't know in my low moment, and Amy, you didn't know in your low moment, that that was, as you called it, Allie, that check engine light, a warning sign that you need help. And so for the listener that may not have experienced something like that yet, it's now on their radar of if that happens, the check engine light is on. You're not broken, but there's something to assess as well as for the listener that listens because they have a daughter or a son or a sister or a brother. And when they see this behavior, instead of being like, oh, what the heck was that? She just, I just caught her or him eating from the trash. It's like, okay, this is telling me that there's something beneath the behavior that needs to be examined. Totally. Yeah. And separating it from, it's not, I love that. Yeah. It's, it's not you that's broken. You know, it's not something that's wrong with you because I really felt that so deep in my core that I was messed up. You know, I was like, there's something so wrong with me and it really scared me. Right. But it's not, it's just the behavior that you're doing is like you said, yeah, it's a great check engine light or just, you know, a red flag that, you know, something is just a little off and, you know, you easily can kind of get back to, to baseline and heal that relationship with food. Well, let's talk about carbophobia and uh, your healing from that. I'll try and keep it short, but um, essentially, I mean, for a very long time, I was totally carbophobic. So, I mean, I would even opt, you know, as I mentioned, I struggle with orthorexia, which I'm sure your listeners know is just obsession with, you know, the purity of a food or just how clean it is or the ingredients. Um, and so for me, carbs were a big no-no for a long time. And I really would even opt for these massive salads that were just much bigger than, you know, my body needed at the time, but I would opt for them instead of just, you know, a smaller kind of normal or, you know, a, a size sandwich that my body, you know, actually needed just because I was so terrified of the carbs. So I was always sort of, you know, picking food choices based on the carb content. And that really stuck with me for a long time, even well into my recovery where, you know, I started to really relax around food and eat, you know, a higher quantity of food. I still really struggled with this, you know, carb phobia. And it wasn't until I started, you know, realizing, I haven't gotten my period in years and I always had had an irregular period. Um, I have Hashimoto's. So I feel like, you know, I was only diagnosed a few years ago, but I actually just recently talked to my mom on the phone the other day. And she was sort of telling me, you know, I always had cold, you know, very cold, clammy hands and feet. I had, you know, really up and down blood sugar. I would get shaky and I feel like I've had it for a really long time, just undiagnosed. So I think that also contributed to not having a period, but you know, I realized I hadn't had it for a couple of years. This is not okay. And, you know, I'm not ready to have kids right this moment, but I want the option, hopefully, you know, down the line. And so I really, and obviously not having a period is, you know, a huge red flag. And so my, I was working with my doctor and she really recommended just, I mean, ramping up the carbs. And I talk about this, you know, I know tracking is sort of a, a topic that's debated, but, and some people, um, you know, don't really obviously use it. But for me, it was really helpful just to get a sense of, you know, how many carbs am I actually consuming? And I was vastly under consuming carbs um, because just for so long, I had really, you know, it become a pattern of mine just to sort of, Oh, I'll go for the, you know, the avocado and 
the salmon and veggies. And it was just sort of in my patterns and my habits. And so as I started to be more, you know, intentional about adding carbs into every single meal and really, you know, adding those back in, I mean, number one, I started feeling so much better just for my workouts. I felt, you know, my recovery time was shorter and I just overall felt more balanced. You know, I felt like I still had this um, part of me that was always sort of craving, you know, a little sweet thing at the end of every meal or, I was always thinking about dessert or thinking about at, you know, ending my meal with something a little sweet. And I just felt like, you know, not that there's anything wrong with dessert, but part of it, you know, it was just this lack, like my soul wasn't being fulfilled, you know, and it wasn't being complete by my meals. And so when I started to add that carb source back into my meals, I really felt like, okay, wow, you know, my soul feels nourished. I feel kind of calm and my complete with my meals. So that was huge. I got my period back within, I mean, just a few months of adding carbs back into my diet, which was insane. Um, obviously I was, you know, doing some other supplements and everything working with my doctor, but it was a huge thing for me. And it's real. I think, you know, with keto and a lot of these diets on the rise, people really have a deep rooted carb fear. So, you know, if you're listening and you have that, like number one, you're not alone, but number two, you know, there's nothing to be afraid of because only, you know, you can only feel better or I did at least. So yeah, I mean, it was real, but I'm so glad that I'm sort of, I've added them back in at this point. I'm so glad that you have too. I'm so glad that you got your period back and just really showing the power of food. And I love how you brought up that tracking food. You said, you know, I feel like you were a little nervous to, to even say it, but I think there's a huge difference between tracking your food to try and limit your intake and stay between a arbitrary green light number amount, whatever it is, versus using it as a tool to honestly look at what you're consuming and not use it to manipulate, especially when working with a professional that can help you um, really take inventory. I know you've got a nutrition background, so maybe you didn't need one, but for other people listening to really have somebody take a look at what you're actually eating and recognize that there's a deficit of carb, protein, fat might explain why you don't have your period, why your blood sugar's up and down, why you have headaches, brain fog, you know, all these different things. So not to say that you should start tracking to anybody listening, but to say that there's a time and a place for that, as well as tracking what you're eating, not necessarily the stripped down calories, protein, fat, carbs from it. Let the professional do that part. Exactly. Yeah. And there's, again, I mean, I'm sure so many different ways to skin a cat, right? Like I'm sure you could, you know, work on, oh, adding a handful of quinoa to your next meal or whatever. But for me, I'm just such a numbers person that I know for some people that could be triggering, but for me, it was like, okay, I, you know, saw the number of carbs that I was eating and my doctor, you know, my nutritionist was like, yo, you're going to have to hit this number. And I was like, all right, I'm very goal (laughs) oriented. So I was like, let's do it. And so it kind of gamified it for me, which was really great. And then once I got in the habit of adding sweet potatoes, adding whatever, you know, more carb sources to each meal, then it became more habitual and it just, it lessened the fear around it as well. Yeah. You were headed in the right direction with the numbers. Like you weren't going the the wrong (laughs) way. So I think that is, that is a, a good distinction to make there. Can we quickly just talk about you launching into uh, your own food company and what that looked like for you? Yeah. So, I mean, really the genesis of queen of granola butter came from my eating disorder recovery. 
So, you know, for a long time, as I mentioned, I restricted not only, you know, certain foods, but entire food groups, as we mentioned with carbs. Um, but a big one that I, I strangely was really terrified of for a long time was nuts and nut butters, just because, you know, of the quote unquote calories and they were so dense and all of this. So in my recovery, I started to add them back in, you know, and I kind of, I would say probably user error, you know, I went like zero to a hundred. I really was in the honeymoon phase. I was adding it onto everything. And so digestively, my body just wasn't really equipped to handle that, um, all at once because of years of restricting and binging, my gut was kind of a mess. So my nutritionist was like, okay, you know, for now, as we start to heal your gut, let's just maybe switch to some nut free spreads, you know, just in the meantime. And I was like, all right, like makes sense. Um, I was feeling really weighed down. So I go to the store and there's like sunflower seed butter and a bunch of sort of like soy nut butters and stuff. And, you know, some people love them, but for me, honestly, I just, I didn't love the taste. They just didn't do it for me. You know, like my good old almond butter did. Um, and then on the flip side, there was, you know, Trader Joe's cookie butter, which was absolutely delicious, but you know, again, didn't make me feel very good. I felt, you know, kind of weighed down and everything. So I really had this epiphany where I was like, how can I meld the two? You know, how can I create something that tastes like a cookie butter, but doesn't make me feel like trash. And I kind of had this epiphany where I was like, you know, it was the time of oat milk sort of coming onto the scene. And I was like, why has no one done an oat-based spread? Oats are delicious. I digest them pretty well. They're very um, neutral in flavor. So I could do a bunch of different, you know, flavors and everything. So started experimenting in my kitchen. I was living in San Francisco at the time. And I, I mean, my first iterations were absolutely trash. Like I was literally buying Trader Joe's granola and blending it in my Vitamix with like coconut oil. And I had to, you know, almost pay people to consume it. It was so bad. <laughs> of course, my mom the whole time was like, this is amazing. I love you. You're great. You know, cause she just like praises me for breathing. So I was like, okay, I need to get some unbiased customer feedback. And at this time I'm working in tech. I didn't think I was going to be doing this as a full-time hustle. I had probably like 10,000 followers on Instagram. So I was like, I'm just going to use this as a great little launch pad. And so Eric, my boyfriend, and he's now my co-founder, he's much more sort of entrepreneurial than I am. And he really was like, this is amazing. Like we need to go for this, you know, and I'm very risk averse. I mean, I was like, I'm happy with my tech startup paycheck. Like I don't want to, you know, do this entrepreneur thing. I never considered myself an entrepreneur, honestly. And so I was really hesitant at the beginning. And then I saw a huge white space because all of these parents started coming out of the woodwork as we did, you know, pre-orders and just kind of soft launched it on Instagram. And they were like, oh my God, we need this. Like my kids are in nut-free schools. They won't eat sun butter. And, you know, the only thing they like is the taste of your product. So that's when I was like, okay, this is actually something bigger than just like, oh, a fun, cool new spread because I saw the opportunity. So, you know, started really working on it nights and weekends. I had no social life. My friends were like, where the hell did you go? I totally disappeared off the face of the earth. And then I got to the point, you know, once we got into Whole Foods and press juicery, it was like, I couldn't do my full-time job and this, you know, either one well. So that's when I decided to go full-time, which was the scariest thing I have ever done. Again, just being super risk averse. I was like, how am I going to support myself? My parents were like, don't worry, you'll never be homeless. You know, you can move in with us, which I thought was like a total death sentence anyways. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do everything I can not to move back in with my parents. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I just, you know, for me personally, I'm sure my mom is going to be listening to this, but, um, hey, Alex, and so I really just, <laughs> Yeah. Hey, Leslie. 
So it just really worked my ass off. And, you know, I think a lot of people think that entrepreneurship is super glam, super lucrative, really sexy. And as you guys know, as you know, anyone listening who has their own business knows it is the complete opposite, but I will say it has been the most, I mean, just rewarding growth opportunity that I've ever had. And so, you know, we're still small, we're still growing. Um, we just moved, you know, cross country to a new facility, but Welcome to the East Coast. Yeah, it's been super fun. Um, had my first winter, so that was cool. Yeah, um, sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, no, it was cool. But I think really, I mean, it's been really beautiful for me to just come full circle with food. You know, again, I never thought I would have a food company. Like my product was something that I would have binged on in the past, honestly. Like it's something that really would have been a trigger food for me. I never would have been able to keep it in the house, you know, without housing an entire jar. And now, I mean, I'm just surrounded by it. So it's just a testament to, you know, healing your relationship with food, getting to a place where, you know, you're not in this sort of restrictive mindset. And then, you know, you can kind of just, you know, have a jar and you don't have to eat the whole thing once you have one bite. So, well, I'm now on your Queen and Co. Instagram page and the cookie dough granola butter has dropped as of us recording this. I think you've already done around, but it sold out pretty quickly and now it's back. So Queen and Co. People need to go check it out. K-W-E-E-N and Co. And Amy, that was launched with in partnership with Sweats and Sweats, City. right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So if anyone remembers Dale's episode, Dale helped to create that. And I happen to be a proud owner of a jar and I can attest to its amazingness. Yay. Yeah, I know. It, it was super fun. So they, I mean, it was just such a natural partnership with them. They have been fans since the beginning. They're also investors, but it just made sense, you know, because really like everyone loves cookie dough. And we were like, how can we put a fun little superfood spin on it? And so we added, you know, maca, lacuma, cacao nibs. Um, and it just, it's been so fun. And, you know, I never expected, I mean, the response, I guess people just love cookie dough is kind of what <laughs> the conclusion that we came to. Um, so yeah, this is our second drop because we sold out really quickly the first one and we're probably going to sell it again really you know, really soon. So by the time this is live, <laughs> it might not be available, but um, we have other delicious flavors too. Well, thank you, Allie, for sharing your story with us. We're going to have you back on for a second episode because there's so much I want to talk to you about, including how you've overcome disordered eating while being in a relationship. Because you talk a lot about partner stuff, and I know our audience wants to kind of know how to navigate this difficult stuff while they have a husband, partner, significant other, whatever. So we'll have you back on real soon. Thank you. Very important. Good stuff. Thank you. Parents, if you've ever experienced bedtime battles with the kids, I'm going to let you into a little secret. The Koala Moon podcast has revolutionized over 20 million bedtimes, with parents like you calling it life-changing and the perfect nighttime routine. With original kids' bedtime stories and cozy sleep meditations, every episode has been specially designed to make bedtimes a dream. Listen to Koala Moon on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Discover a new educational and interactive podcast, Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids. 
our episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We went shape hunting around the block, and we found spheres and cubes on the street. That was great fun. Join Stories for Kids, the Lingo Kids podcast, inspiring you to learn while having fun. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side.